Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. going to get into the final part of this series. This is called the sacrament of living. The sacrament of living. Okay, we're going to read out of the book of John chapter 4 and verse 1. And we're going to read this whole chapter. Um, Well, most of the chapter anyways, just till verse 30. Uh, This is a familiar story. It's the woman in Samaria. Uh, you'll recognize the story as we go along. Are you ready, church? Are you ready, church? Okay. I need you with me this morning because I believe this, even though it's the last one, I feel like it's the one that kind of glues everything together. It's the puzzle piece that completes the whole picture. It's very important that we grab a hold of what God wants to say through this. Amen. So let, let us read John 4. 1 through 30. It says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus Wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came down to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew... The gift of God and who it is that is saying it to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everybody say living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Everybody say living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir. Give me this water (laughs) so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you had had five husbands and the one you are with now is not your husband. Interesting. 
What you said is true, the woman said to him. So I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He, he was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's glorious. It's marvelous. It's illuminating. It's constructive. It's a two-edged sword. It builds. It cuts. It plants. It uproots. And Lord, we just ask this morning that we hear from you. That it be your words, not my words. That you speak through this. Let this be your time to talk to your people. I include it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Y'all awake this morning. Hopefully I got some coffee this morning. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. Hopefully this message blesses you. I know as I was preparing for this, it really kind of spoke to me. First of all, just a quick background on this story. Number one, Jews never talked to Samaritans. It was like this petty race war. Okay, We see it all the time in our own culture. Okay, uh, they didn't look different. They just came from different places. And so Jews didn't mess with Samaritans. Samaritans didn't mess with Jews. And then to take it a little further, men didn't talk to women. There was a cultural issue where women were viewed as lesser than the man. Okay. And so you did not address them. Uh, they did not talk to you. You just did about your business, they did about their business, life went, went on as normal. And so there was two things that Jesus kind of busted through right away. Number one, she was a woman. Number two, she was a Samaritan. So a Samaritan woman should not be talking to a Jewish rabbi, ever. And Jesus said, I don't care. See, the beautiful thing about Jesus is he breaks down all traditions and cultural norms and everything that our society tells us that we're supposed to look like, act like, be like. He says, no, that's not how I live. And therefore, that's not how you should live. And so whatever you know about Samaritans, lady, don't worry about it. You know nothing. Whatever you know about Jewish people, lady, don't worry about it. You know nothing. And then he began to talk with her. And he explained this idea of living water. And she still thought of it in natural terms. And he's like, no, 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 this is spiritual. This is eternal. This is everlasting water. This is a water that you can drink once and never be thirsty again. And she still thought, yes, give me some of that so I don't have to keep working. She didn't put two and two together. He was talking about eternal life. He kept having to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And then she finally realized, wait a minute, who are you? 
And he says, bring me your husband. He kind of set her up for that one, right? And then she says, I have no husband. He's like, yeah, I know. And then he told her all about her love life. How's that for a telenovela? <laughs> he knew all the details about her love life. He said, yeah, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. That kind of woke her up. Whoa, what, 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 how do you know that? You must be a prophet. So let me ask you something, prophet. And then he, she challenges him. This woman's bold. I bet you she was like holding on for dear life forever to talk to a Jewish rabbi because they would never talk to them. So she had all these questions and she finally gets a hold of one. They're alone. There's no one around. And she's like throwing up on him. What about this? What about that? Tell me more about this. Tell me. Just imagine if you could never ask somebody that you've always wanted to ask a question and you finally have an opportunity. You're just going at it, right? Just tell me everything. Give me more. What's that? Talk to me. I don't care if you know all about my life. That's, that's cool. How did you know that? And so she's having this dialogue with him. But at the same time, he's explaining something that's very, very deep. Not just to her, but to us. Can I get an amen this morning? This story is not just about that woman, but it's about us too. You see, we have a problem. If you look around our culture, our society, our world right now, there are many problems, right? I mean, we, let's just not even try to count how many problems we have right now as a human race. But we have one central problem as a human race that we have to look at today. We often divide our lives into two divisions. We divide our lives between the sacred and the secular, or the godly and the worldly. We compartmentalize things. What does that mean? It means that how we are in private is sometimes different than how we are in public. We kind of compartmentalize. We keep, them, we keep a lid on that part of our life or, or we expose this part of our life to people and not that part of our life to people because this part is just different. You know, I don't have to be like this over here like I am here. And so what we do is we start dividing our life between what is sacred and what is secular or what is godly and what is worldly because we don't like to mix the two. How would it be if we were actually the same person everywhere? And so we do this. We separate our work life from our home life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? We separate our regular life from our church life. Okay, we do this. Without thinking, without, without even trying, this is just something that we do. We kind of learn this. Sometimes it's learned spiritual behavior where we're just kind of taught. You act right in church. You don't say a word, but at home it's all crazy. Because we compartmentalize, we, we divide things, we, we, we try to put on a good face, right? We try to put on a, a good front for people or the public world so that they look at us a certain way. But in private, it's completely different. Kind of talked about this last week. Everybody, you know, trying to be fake. And the whole idea behind social media is to give yourself an impression of who you're not really ever, you know, and what you don't really have. I have a friend who's in the insurance business. I used to be in the insurance business, and he got a lot of flack and a lot of questions because his company and all his agents, they post their uh, bank statements publicly. It's a very weird thing. 
And they do it because they want to show people, like, this is how much we make. Instead of, like, trying to hide that and trying to, it's like a recruiting tactic. They're like, hey, this is how much we make as an insurance agent. Why don't you come work for us? Meanwhile, a lot of other insurance agents are posting their houses and their cars. And he's like, yeah, we don't do that. Because this is real life, that's fake. Anybody can copy somebody else's house or somebody else's car. Nobody can copy their own personal bank statement. This is real. This is where we're really at. And I, I value that because authenticity is lost in our culture. Being genuine is lost in our culture because we divide our lives up. We, we, we kind of go... I'm here like this one way and I'm over here like this another way or I act like this over here or I have to I have to perform over here or if I'm at work I keep it at work if I'm at home I keep it at home there's no combining there's no cohesiveness to our lives and that is our problem that is our issue we divide the sacred and the secular this all starts Because the moment we accept Christ, all of a sudden, we live in two worlds. Follow me. How many of you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? You love the Lord. He is your Lord and King. Okay? Amen. Guess what? When you accepted Christ, all of a sudden, you became aware of two worlds. You became aware of the physical world, and you became aware of the spiritual world, right? And the Bible says that we don't really wrestle against each other. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You're not really fighting with your wife, okay? You're not really fighting with your friend or your your cousin or your brother or your sister. You're not really fighting with that person. You're fighting against spiritual principalities. That's what the Bible teaches us, right? And so because the Bible teaches us that there is a spiritual world that we cannot see, but we wrestle with, why, oh why, do we act like we can live only in the physical? Because the truth is, we live in two worlds. We live planet Earth, and we also live in this spiritual fight that we feel all the time and we can't describe. Why am I up at 2 in the morning with the TV off trying to pray through something? What is that about? Anybody feel me on that one? I mean, the TV could be flat off. I'm awake. By the way, Brother Willie... Helped me put in all these poles and and it was a it was a big project. It was fun. We almost fell a couple times because it'd be a little sketchy. That thing goes like this. The the floor kind of goes like this, so the scaffold was like this. <laughs> so we were just like hanging on for dear life up there. And I kid you not, we finished on Thursday night at like eleven thirty, something like that. I go home, I can't even fall asleep, exhausted. We started at nine. In the morning, finished at 11.30 at night, I take a shower, I go to bed, lights off, TV's off, phone's off. I cannot fall asleep to save my life. I'm physically drained, but my mind is at war. Because there's so much going on. Because we live in a spiritual realm too. We don't just live in this physical state. There is a spiritual battle always going on. 
Are you with me so far? We see our physical world as a weakness because we see limitations, right? We see limitations. We see it as a weakness. So we often focus a lot on our own human nature. We focus a lot on our failures. We focus a lot on our flaws and our misconceptions and our thoughts. And we focus on these things because we don't understand that we're actually a spiritual battle. We don't understand that what we're actually going through is very little physical and almost 100% spiritual. Then, to be in successful in this world, right? To be successful in this physical world, we have to work hard. We have to physically work hard to earn our keep, right? We have to physically work hard to be consistent to ourselves. We have to physically work hard to prove ourselves to ourselves, to our friends, to our bosses, whatever the case may be. We constantly have to prove ourselves because we live in this physical world. Yet spiritually, we are children of God. Spiritually, we are not of this world. We actually have a heavenly status that your job can never give you a title for. I'm going to say that over here to this side of the room. We have a heavenly status that our job can never give us a title for. So regardless of what you do for a living... Regardless of how much money you make, I know the world put so much emphasis on that. And trust me, I'll be the first one to tell you to get up, go to work, be successful. But at the same time, the goal should always be to make sure you're in the will of God. And so we focus so much on the natural. We have to prove ourselves and prove ourselves. And that is actually all fine and good, but because we are the children of God, because we possess a heavenly status, we should be enjoying an intimate relationship with Jesus. But here's what happens. We get saved. We come to the Lord. We get on fire for God. We recognize, wow, there's a spiritual world I didn't even know about, but I'm in this physical world. And then we get to work physically and we don't keep working spiritually. And because we're working physically, we don't enjoy the spiritual because really what's happening is we're fighting spiritually and we're trying to fight spiritually with our physical nature. And it doesn't work like that. You see, in order to come against me, Physically, you're going to have to work hard. Somebody tries to come against me, you're going to have to work hard. Because I'm going to you. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to put an elbow. I'm going to frog you with my knee. I'm going to do whatever I can to win because that's what I do. If you come at me, I'm going to come right back. You better bring a bat or something because I'm going to be coming. Okay? 
That's how we think. That's how I'm built. That's how I'm wired. Spiritually, it looks very, very different. Spiritually, it almost looks the opposite. See, what I've learned to do to fight spiritually is I've learned that the more I just take delight in him, the less that stuff begins to mess with me. Because here's what happens. If you start going after spiritual stuff the way we do physical stuff, you're going to lose, man. You're going to lose. Because your spiritual aspect of your life cannot be fought with physical tactics or earthly tactics. It has to be fought with heavenly tactics. And what is the prescription of heaven for everything? The word. What else? Prayer, praise, worship. Oh my goodness, you mean all I have to do is is spend time with God. All I have to do is rest in the Lord. You mean all I have to do is find my joy in him? Yes, that's absolutely right. That's why the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. You think you're trying to build yourself up and all you have to do is lay yourself down. Yes, surrender. Completely surrender. You're fighting the wrong fight. If you are a child of God, if you have a heavenly status, then you should be enjoying a spiritual, intimate relationship with Jesus. It should be the joy of your life to time with God. It should not be a laborious thing. It should not be an obligation. It should be a delight, not a duty. It should be something that you look forward to. Oh, thank God I get to spend time with God right now because I really need that above anything else. Let me tell you something. If you have not built that relationship, you need to start. Good news is you can start right now. That's the good news. You can start right now. You don't have to go take a class. You don't have to sign up for anything. You might have to do that to get to work around here, but you don't got to do that to get to work with him. Does that make sense? To connect with the Father, all you have to do is say, here I am. Here I am. If we try to remain living this way, if we try to remain living in that physical state, where we divide up things and compartmentalize things, we will never find peace. Right now, more than ever, our world needs peace. Our spirit needs peace. But if we keep compartmentalizing, we'll never find peace. Because what we try to do with our everyday common tasks create deep frustrations. They create deep frustrations because we tell ourselves that one day it's going to get better. That one day I get to go to heaven and this body I'm trapped in won't limit me and all my problems will be over when I get to heaven. Right. We, everybody thought about that. See, I grew up and, you know, the religious mindset was I'm just holding on for dear life until God takes me home. Right. I'm just holding on till Jesus blows the trumpet. Just hold on. That is a horrible way to live. That is a horrible way to live. I hope you're not walking around every day. I'm just holding on until Corona's over. That's a horrible way to live. 
You see, we shouldn't be holding on in hopes that one day we get to escape this planet. No, we were sent here to rescue this planet. We were sent here on a mission to revive people on this planet. We weren't sent here just so we can go, I'm just ready to get out of here. That is such a poor thinking. And we think like that when we compartmentalize, when we divide the sacred and the secular. That dilemma really isn't the real thing. See, here's what it said in verse 10. You can throw verse 10 up there. It said, Jesus answered her, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, our problem is we don't even know that sometimes Jesus is the one right in the middle of things and we're talking to the situation like it's just another thing and it's really God just trying to get our attention. He's like, if you only knew who you're talking to, if you only knew what's really going on, if you only knew you would find true rest, true peace, you would find that living water. Our lives, all our lives, should contribute to the glory of God. All of our lives, no matter how young or old you are, all of our lives should contribute to the glory of God. Paul even helped us from being so timid, and he even included small parts of our lives. Like every little detail of our lives. You ready for this? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of the Lord. I love that scripture. I eat tacos unto the Lord. Hallelujah for the salsa. Can I get an amen? Breakfast tacos originated in South Texas. If you don't even know, you better know. Remember when I met Cheryl, she told me the funniest story I've ever heard. Are you ready for it? She didn't know what breakfast tacos were until she moved to Texas. I said, what? What? Hi, what? She's she from Louisiana. It's like another country. She's like an illegal immigrant. I don't know if you've ever met Cheryl. You know, she's like an illegal immigrant. Hello, Cheryl Beth. How you doing? Love you. She's watching up there. She said, I didn't even know what breakfast tacos were until I moved to Texas. Because in Louisiana, we have breakfast burritos. I said, Ugh. what? Breakfast burritos, you know, from like McDonald's? I was like, oh. No, thank you. No, thank you. Whatever you eat or drink, it better be under the glory of the Lord. McDonald's ain't got no glory to the Lord in their breakfast burritos. Let me tell you right now. You got to come to my house. I'll cook you some Mexican food, baby. I don't even know how to speak Spanish, but I can cook it. And that's all that matters. I'm brown enough. Okay, I am brown enough. It's all that matters unto the glory of the Lord. But this is beautiful to me. Because Paul was like, look. Whatever you do, under the glory of the Lord, it better be pleasing to God. Quit arguing about what you can and cannot do. And whatever it is that you do, you better be doing it under the glory of the Lord. Because they were arguing about which meat they could eat because of where they bought it from, because of who might have touched it and you know, where it originated from, and 
killed it. And where did it kill it? Was it killed to Zeus? Was it killed to Baal? Was it killed to that? And he's like, whatever you do to the glory of the Lord. What is going on? I'm like, be healed. I'm going to buy a new one. That's it. It's over. Buying a new one. You're going to have to. We'll, we'll lay this one to rest next week. <laughs> See, God is actually interested in every aspect of our lives. He wants us to include him in every aspect of our lives. His presence kills the idea that humanity is offensive to God. You are not offensive to God. His presence is proof of that. If you were offensive, then what is he doing here? Because right now he's in this room. Right now his presence is here. We just experienced worship. We just experienced his presence. It was awesome. It was powerful. It was peaceful. What is he doing here if we're so offensive to him? If what we do is so ungodly to him. Now see, he looks past all our faults and our failures and he looks at who we really are. And I think the piece of the puzzle that we're missing is we're so worried about tripping up that we don't really know how to please him properly. And therefore, we don't know how to let our life be a contribution to the glory of God. So I'm going to teach you. Can I teach you real quick? How do we let our lives be a contribution to the glory of God? How do we do that? What does that look like? You have to understand that your whole life is sacred. Just like we talked about earlier. There's no compartmentalizing, there's no divisions, there's no this over here and that over here, work life, home life, you know, spouse life, children life, church life, regular life. No, no, no. We don't divide because our whole life is sacred. Our entire life is sacred. Everything we do, I don't care if you're at work, I don't care if you're at home, I don't care if you're serving right there in the back or on this stage or if you're serving in the kids' ministry. Your whole life is sacred. Every part of our day can be sacred. Because everything we do is an act of worship. Everything we do. We must practice living to the glory of God by spending our time with God. You see, whatever you do, you're worshiping. The question is, who? I'm going to say that again, and I might have to not look at you because I got some scowls. Whatever you do, you are worshiping. I'm just going to say it to the camera. Whatever you do, you are worshiping. The question is, who you are worshiping? Because you're either worshiping God in every act or you're worshiping self. Say, ouch. It should be a t-shirt by now. Might need to add it to the merch store. Drop in next week. Be ready. We must practice. Everybody say practice. 
living to the glory of God. Don't be Allen Iverson and not wanting to go to practice. You know, only like three of y'all got that. It's okay, I forgive you. We talking about practice. Don't be Allen Iverson. Be like Michael Jordan. Be obsessed with practice. Be obsessed with practicing living to the glory of God. Be obsessed with finding out what God says about every situation. Be obsessed with what his word says about everything. Be obsessed with his presence. Because if you learn to be obsessed with that, you stop worshiping yourself and your own desires. You see, the Bible is very clear. I wish I would have brought this scripture up. The Bible is very clear that temptation is brought on by our own desires and our own desires lead to sin and drag us away. There's a whole scripture in Romans about this. You should go read. Sin actually gives birth. It gives a seed to faithlessness. And that faithlessness begins to drag us away. It begins to tear us apart. It's not always the devil. He ain't that big. He is not omnipresent. Only God is. We act like the devil's always here just as much God is always here. It's not possible. He probably don't even know directions out of his own house. Just saying. The Bible says in the, in the book of Isaiah that one day Satan will fall and the whole world will look at him and gasp and go, that's it? That's him? The Bible says we will marvel at him and go, that's the one that terrorized the world? Are you serious? We're all going to look at him and go, really? He mastered a serious psychological operation on all humanity for many, many years by claiming how big he is. And in reality, he has very little strength and power. In reality, there's more power in you than there is in anything in this universe because the breath of God is on the inside of you. Somebody needs to hear that today. You have the breath of God on the inside of you. You're the only creature God gave that to. He did not breathe into animals. He did not breathe into monkeys. And no, he did not come from apes. He breathed into Adam, the firstborn. And from that breath, we get the breath of life in us. There is nothing about our life that we should segregate from our spiritual focus. Everything about your life, think about it, everything about your life it should be included in your spiritual focus, even your work. But if we do not take care of our time and motives, we can easily get discouraged and experience heaviness. If you felt heavy this morning, I challenge you, where is your focus? Where is your time and your focus? Where is your time and your focus? If you felt heavy this morning, where is your time and your focus? Cheryl, sometimes don't think I'm human. I don't know why. I eat a lot. But I, I'm not a person that is extremely emotional. I'm just not. I'm just built that way. I don't know how to, else to say it. I'm just, it takes a lot for me to get emotionally charged up. You know, I tend to just kind of let things sit there and I process over periods of time. 
Some people, they hear one thing and it emotionally drains them. I challenge that because that tells me that your motives and your focus, your time and your focus are in the wrong place. Because if heaviness comes on you at a drop of a hat, your attention the wrong thing. Your attention is in the wrong thing. If fear grips you like that, your focus is in the wrong place. Remember, if we focus and put our motives in the right place, we no longer look at everything so segregated. We look at everything as an act of worship or an act of glory to God. And if something does not line up with giving glory to God, I don't want it in my life. If something does not line up with being pleasing to the Lord, I don't want it in my life. Mainly, we do this because we feel inadequate. We feel like God can't use us. But that's not true. You see, God is interested in every part of our life. He is not interested in you segregating and dividing and separating it out. He wants all of you. So what can we do? What is lawful? What are we allowed to do? See, I've had so many questions. Even when I was a, it was even better when I was a youth pastor, right? Because you get all these teenagers and they're like, hey, so like, can I get a tattoo? Is that okay? Like, can it be a Dorito? You know, like that says Jesus loves you. I mean, that's okay, right? If it says Jesus, right? Like, hey, or can I get a cross? You know, hey, it's godly. I got all those questions. Can I like, can I like just sip a little? I mean, I don't have to get drunk, right? You know, or can I like smoke a little? Is it okay if I smoke in the parking lot? I kid you not, man. Uh, Ramon can appreciate this. Back in the day when I was a youth pastor, we had a, a group of kids. They were like heavy metal you know, dressed all black, makeup, and they were guys, you know? And, I mean, they looked like they came out of the Blair Witch Project, you know? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I was like, what's up, guys? And I just love these kids. I don't know why. I just I gravitated towards them. I loved them. And we had good relationship. Ended up recording their band, you know? Like, they were cool. And they loved that scene, that style of music. And then one day we got this crazy idea. Why don't we have, like, a metal night at our show? That really freaked my parents out. Let me tell you. <laughs> I was like, we're going to take out all the chairs. Uh, uh, we're going to take out all these, like, plants, because there was, like, plants. I hate plants, by the way. If there's plants on the stage, you're pretty much going to get kicked out and burned. I hate plants. So that's why there's never plants on the stage. And if there is, God bless you. Um, so they had, like, all these fern. It was like fern gully on the stage, you know. It was like, whoa. Could have found a caterpillar up in there. And, and I, I said, we're going to take out all the plants. We'll take out all the chairs, because there's probably going to be a mosh pit uh, oh, we'll, we'll make sure we have like backup people, security, whatever, but can we have like a metal night, Christian rock band metal night? They were like, I guess. I guess it was only because I was there. They said yes. <laughs> so we had like this big old metal night. We had like five bands. Uh, Fit for a King was there. Uh, man, I forget the other guy's name. Um, ah, whatever. Anyways, these groups were there. They were awesome. It was like, every two songs, you know, it was like, yes. And then I got up and preached and kids got saved. You know, it was beautiful. It was awesome. That was the whole purpose, right? But I remember 
them get it together, and they started this mosh pit, and somebody elbowed somebody in the face. Next thing you know, there's blood everywhere on the floor. We're like, get the baking soda, hurry up. Like, this is crazy. And all these kids, like, they were just, like, coming to the Lord, and they were like, so, like, what are we allowed to do? <laughs> like, that's the question I got. Hey, how do I, you know, serve God right, or how do I like, please God? I was like, like, are, what are we allowed to do? Like, are we allowed to live like normal people or like? That was the number one question. And oddly enough, as adults, I still get that question. Still get it. You know why? Because people are so concerned with how much they can get away with and still be safe. And ultimately, that's a heart issue. How much can I do and still be okay? I mean... If, if I'm being real, that's how I was when I was a kid, when I was in school. How little can I do and still pass so I can play basketball? Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, how little can I do? Like, ah, I just need a 75 on this test and I'll be good. And then I can, I can play Friday. You know, I'm good. Anybody know? And then I had a teacher, Mr. Donald Atkinson, if you're watching, God bless you. I had a teacher challenge me and I'm one of those people once you start challenging me bro it's on I don't care what it is I think me and Willie got a little taste of that we were drilling the holes for the pipe and I was all I beat you and I walked off he's like I don't even know we were competing I was like that's the point always be competing and I get an amen I had a teacher challenge me he said hey Matt I guarantee you won't get an A on the next test. And then he left the room. Did he really just tell me that in front of everybody? Walk out and the bell rung and we were all like, tired of me getting C's. Because he saw that every test, every grade, and then looked at my other class, they were all C's. I literally had a C in every subject because that's all I needed to play. He says, I guarantee you, you won't get an A on the next test. What do you think I did? I went, studied every day. I memorized the whole thing. Showed up, got a 95. He's like, so what's the problem? And the problem was simple. I didn't care. All I wanted was to play. So I did as little as possible. What can I do to get by? And we approach our spiritual life like that sometimes. How, how little can I do and be okay? And then a storm hits. And you've got no armor. And you've got no strength. And you've got no faith. You know what happened to me? I went to college. And I didn't know how to do math. I went to college. And they put me... Emily in remedial beginner math because I was not intelligent enough in math to do college level algebra because my algebra teacher said it's more important that on the field so don't worry about this test you got to watch out for people that will enable your dysfunction because the person that will enable your dysfunction will keep you dysfunctional they think they're helping you, and you might go, oh, hey, thank you so much. That's really appreciated. I appreciate that. He was my favorite teacher that whole school year until I got to college. And I was like, dude, I don't know any of it. What is that? You're talking about A times B equals 100. 
What? And they were like, you don't know this? This is like the base. Like, nope. I mean, that's how it was. And so I'm telling you, don't approach life spiritually by going, how little do No way to live. That's no way to live. I'm going to say it like this. What's lawful? What are you allowed to do? What can you do and still be a Christian? What can you do and still be saved? What can you do and still please God? It's very simple. If you can't ask God to bless it, you probably shouldn't do it. If you can't get it, can you bless this right here? If you can't do that, probably shouldn't do it. Probably shouldn't watch it. Probably shouldn't spend time with that person. Probably shouldn't have that relationship. If you say, hey, God, can you bless this right here? If you can't do it, if you can't say that, you should probably step away. You should probably go a different direction. This takes an aggressive faith. An aggressive faith faith you've got to be aggressive about spending time with God you got to be aggressive about finding out what pleases the Lord you got to be aggressive you know why because the enemy is going to fight you and be aggressive with you everything in this world is not designed anymore to benefit you it's designed to tear you down we live in that fallen state and we need to find out how to please the Lord we need to find how to give God glory Worship team, y'all can come back up. Give God glory. In verse 20, it says this. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. This was the conversation with the woman at the well. She said, hey, I was told this, but you're telling me this. All our Samaritans say this, but you Jewish people say this. What was she getting at? You see, Samaritan people were taught that certain places were holy and certain places weren't. And the Jewish people taught that certain places were holy and certain places were not. Ultimately, if you look at the Old Testament and you look at how God dealt with Moses and the children of Israel, he was teaching people in the Old Testament about holiness. And he did it by creating holy days, which is where we got the idea of a holiday. It's a holy day. He did it by creating holy days. He did it by creating holy garments. What the priest would wear would be like a holy or sacred garment. He did it by creating holy objects and holy places. He, he taught people about his holiness with physical things, with physical places. That's the only way they could understand it. You follow me? Then he showed them. What was not holy. In other words, God was teaching his people early on what was good, what was bad, what was, what was unholy, what was healthy, what was not healthy. So he gave them a lot of rules. 
The rules were not there or meant to entrap them, but to teach them. And one day they could graduate from them. The problem is people got a hold of those rules and turned it into religion and turned it into a way to enslave people. And so what we've learned from religion is that we have to measure up to the certain that no longer apply. This created the understanding that God is holy. But what he's trying to teach them eventually was that the stuff wasn't holy. The places, they weren't really holy. This is why Jesus said, you won't have to worship there or here. You're missing the point, sister, right? You're not, you don't have to worship there or here. It's not the place that's holy anymore. There's coming a day. When it's neither here or there, but it's here. There's coming a day when that thing is not holy, but you are holy. You follow me? It wasn't the stuff that was holy. It was the creator in you that was holy. See, you have to begin to understand that whatever you do, Whatever your work is, whatever your job is, it's not inferior to someone else's job. You're not inferior to someone else. So you, you, your role is not less significant. In fact, I don't care if you're, you pick up trash for a living. It's not any more important than my job as a pastor. Every job is sacred. Every person is sacred. Every occupation is sacred. Not because of the job itself. Not because of the role. But because the one performing the task. Because you are sacred. You are holy. You are the one that makes it sacred. It is not what you do that determines whether your work is sacred or secular but why you do it see in all you do paul said do it as unto the glory of god so i don't care what your job is i don't care if you work at a call center i don't care if you drive trucks for a living i don't care if you make ten dollars an hour or ten thousand dollars a month if you're doing it for the wrong reasons it's not healthy it is more important why you do something than what you do it for it's why why am i doing it i know why i'm here i know why i left my job to be here because that's what god asked of me so i had to be obedient i had to trust him i had to obey i know why he asked me to do that at the beginning of a pandemic when everything was uncertain you want me to make a change now are you serious but I had to trust him because it was more important my why. My why was to please God. If your why is not to please God, you have the wrong why. You have the wrong why. Because God will always bless you when you're in the right spot, doing it for the right reasons. It's about your motives and your focus. Your motives and your focus. Your motives are everything. 
If you let God sanctify every part of your life, you will never do a common thing again. Even if your job is very common, very simple, if you do it for Him and you do it to the glory of God, it's never that common again. It's much more powerful than you can ever imagine. Because when you're in the right place for the right reasons at the right time, you get to impact people's lives. Things change and your destiny changes and your family's destiny. Can I get an amen? Verse 23 says this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Everything we do, every part of our life is an act of worship. Who are we worshiping? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? What have we said yes to? What have we said no to? Who have we said yes to? And who have we said no to? Let's stand. Real quick, I'll share this. I, I probably talk about it a lot, but it's okay. Forgive me. Back in the day, I used to have a studio, a music studio. I loved it. It was my happy place, you know. Anybody ever had a happy place? It's so funny because we're talking about studios this morning. It was my happy place, man. I'd go there and just disappear from the world. I forget what time it was. I wouldn't even eat. I'd just get lost, you know what I mean? It's a beautiful place, beautiful feeling. And I used to love buying new stuff for my studio. Sometimes I'd use it like once on one song. And I kid you not, I'd buy this machine that sat on my desk there and you plug a microphone to it and it sound great and ooh, awesome. And I used to be so like obsessed with buying another thing and getting another toy, you know, and, and finding another thing to make it sound a certain way. And I, I, I'd be so obsessed with possessing these things that legitimized my studio as professional. You know what I mean? Like, hey, they come to my studio, they're gonna be impressed. They see this equipment, that equipment, that one. Look at that, it's name brand, right? And, and, and so like, I, you know, I don't really care about clothes that much, but I will spend money on sound equipment. I'll drive an old truck forever, but give me a new audio toy and I'll be like, hey, it's great. And I learned something about that period of life because when God asked us to leave San Antonio and move here to start the church, the first thing I had to do was liquidate my studio, sell everything, couldn't bring anything with me. I was like, ouch, my heart was ripping out of both sides of my body it was painful to sell off on ebay watch these auctions on ebay it sold for how much 
And I remember it was almost like a ripping away of what I was trying to possess, you know? And I made money doing it. It was, it was enjoyable for me. I had fun. But God had a plan and a purpose. And even though I enjoyed that, he said, there's a calling and a purpose and a destiny I have for you. If you're willing to part with that, I'll do it through you. And I said, man, this hurts. And I learned a key to my life back then that I think I've just kind of, it's just natural now. But I've learned that I don't need to possess anything. I don't need to possess anything that doesn't have the presence of God attached to it. What does that mean? What does that mean? When your goal to possess something is simply to possess it, it's for the wrong reason. You have the wrong motive. If your goal to possess a husband or a wife is just to prove to everyone that you can have a husband or a wife, that's the wrong reason. Trust me. It's a wrong way to get into a relationship. If your goal at making more money is just so you can have more money, wrong motives, wrong reason. Don't seek to possess anything outside the presence of God. When you go to God and say, hey, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do with my time, with my life? Because everything I do is worship. I want to worship you. I want to give you glory. My life should give you glory. So what do you want to do with me? I don't care how much money you ask me to make, how much time you're asking me to give, whatever it is that you want me to do. What is it that you want from me? And he will bless that every single time. He will show you every single time. He will guide you every single time because he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. When you come to him humbly, low, with your spirit in the right place, he gives you favor upon favor. Favor upon favor. When you seek to possess that which is only attached to the presence of God, you have everything that you need at all times. So does your family, so does your children, so does your children's children. There was a man who wanted to be a missionary. He felt it like, man, I just, I really want to be a missionary. I feel called to be a missionary. He sought some advice from his spiritual father. His spiritual father said, yeah, you're not called to be a missionary. He said, what do you mean? He goes, it's obvious that you're called to the business world. He said, but I feel like I'm supposed to be a missionary somehow. Like, why am I just supposed to be a businessman just so that I can make money and, and, and just be wealthy? Like, I want to be a blessing to the world. And I feel like a missionary is where, where I'm supposed to be. And he said, no, no, no. Do what you're gifted at. Do what you're supposed to do. Be a businessman and honor God with that business. And this man started a chain in the northeast of sporting goods stores and they literally funded millions of dollars of a year to missionaries all around the world 
because he was in the right place for the right motives. He wanted to honor God with everything. It wasn't about making money for him. He wanted to be a missionary, but God used him to create multiple missionaries that could have never happened if it was just him. You see, you don't understand. It's not about the income. It's not about the amount. It's not about the occupation. It's about the motives. It's about the heart. It's the fact that our whole life is sacred and our whole life is a supposed to be glorifying God so I want to encourage you this morning to surrender surrender every part ask the Lord to seek your heart ask the Lord to discover within you anything that has the wrong motive or the purpose or wrong agenda ask the show me remove it come on take a minute just take a minute as we sing and just ask him and just begin to surrender to the Lord thank you for joining us this week our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.